Welcome to the Crosswalk Community Church Podcast. Here's this week's special guest speaker, Patrick Redford. And then you're thrown out the door to take on the world for Jesus, but without actually answering the question of how in the world do I live more like Jesus and therefore be more brave for God? Like, how do I actually do it? How do I change my life to do so? What do I do differently? Today, we're actually going to attempt to be as pragmatic as possible, and through narrowing and shifting our focus a bit, which you guys will see here in a minute, we're going to do our best to leave here today with a better idea of how to live our lives in a way that better follows Jesus and therefore live a life that is brave and stands out for God. So, having said all of that, let's go back to where we were in Hebrews 11 and continue forward. So Hebrews 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Please pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today, Lord. We thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity, Father, to gather together as a body of believers, to worship you, Lord, and to to do the best that we can, Father, to gain a better understanding, excuse me, of, of learning what it means to live bravely for you, to live a life that's pleasing to you. We just pray, Father, that you would just enter your our hearts today. Let your spirit be felt here today, and just help us to leave here glorifying you in everything that we do, everything that we say doing the best that we can, Lord, to please you in every aspect of our life. As in your Son, Christ Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. So we come to Enoch, and we see that he is next in line of the Old Testament heroes that Paul cites throughout this chapter. Now, I don't know about you. How many went to Sunday school here? Whether it was here, somewhere else? Wow, not that many. Okay. So, I don't know about you, but I never grew up in Sunday school hearing about much about Enoch. Now, if you don't believe me, my mother is here today. She could be my character witness, so I promise I'm telling the truth. He's just not mentioned as much as the Noahs or the Abrahams or the Moseses. I bet Charlton Heston never jumped for joy at the chance of playing Enoch in a Cecil B. DeMille picture. So what did he do? Well, Paul says that he lived a life so pleasing to God that he never saw death. He never died. God simply took him from this place. So besides Elijah, he is the only person recorded in Scripture that we know of that never died. Well, we all know Elijah and how great he was. So what about Enoch? Well, good news is we can go right to Genesis chapter 5 and see what Enoch did so we can do what that, that too, and then we're home free. Because I told you, today was about copying what the example shows, living brave for God in our lives, and then we can get out of here, you know? It's easy done, right? So let's go to Genesis chapter 5 and see what Enoch did. So we go to Genesis 5, verses 21, starting at 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So this is good. We know that Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather. Good start, right? Noah was a good guy. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered... Huh. Well, it just keeps going in the genealogy all the way to Noah. Okay. Doesn't really say anything about Enoch. He lived 365 years, lots of kids, walked with God, and he was... Okay. Well, this is awkward. It, it doesn't really say how he lived his life. This is trouble because I just promised you guys we'd get some, we'd be out of here with like, you know, a good example of what to do. Um, all right, well, as you can see, we're not told about how Enoch lived. But we do, fear not, fear not. We do have a clue, okay? The clue required, don't worry, I did it for you. You had to go a little deeper. The clue is from a book called the Septuagint. A brief history lesson. The Septuagint was the original translation of the Old Testament scripture, specifically the Torah, from Hebrew into Greek. Okay? It was the common, it was of common usage during Jesus and Paul's time because most people at that time spoke Greek. Okay? And in the Septuagint, it parallels living a life pleasing to God, which we know Enoch did, as Paul says, to living what's called a blameless life. So to live a life that is pleasing to God, to live a life that is considered brave for God, is to live blamelessly. So I guess we need to see what we need to do to live blamelessly. But as we just saw, really embarrassing. It doesn't go into detail about Enoch. So where do we go? What do we do? I have to say something. I'm not going to look smart if I just send you out of here now. Well, lucky for us, if you're like me and I have a scriptural or a spiritual question, I don't know where to go we go back to a journey we're already on, and that deals with our life with Christ and our walk with Him. And that's where we're going to go today to attempt to answer this question so I don't look like a fool for building your hopes up and then never answering it. So there's this guy, right? He needed a job, okay? And so he looks in the newspaper, and he sees that the local zoo's hiring. He's like, yeah, that's awesome. I ain't going to work at the animals, stuff like that. So he goes to the zoo. He sits down with the zoo people for the interview, and the zoo people say, listen, we're in trouble. We need your help. We need you to be a monkey. The guy's like, I'm not a, what? I'm not a monkey. He says, no, no, no. The zoo people are like, it's super easy, right? We give you the suit. You put the suit on. You go in the exhibit. You swing and jump around. You make monkey noises. It, it, it's super easy. Listen, we're in trouble. A school is sending a class here tomorrow specifically to look at the monkeys. And we're out of monkeys, so we need you to play monkey. The guy's like, I'm not a monkey. This, this isn't going to work. Like, it's super easy. It's, it's really easy. We'll pay you very well. You put the suit on. All that stuff. If you want the job, come here tomorrow. It's yours. It's super easy. Guy leaves like, you guys are crazy. But he's driving home. He's like, oh, they really use the money. They did offer me a lot. So sure enough, the next day, he comes. They give him the suit. He puts the suit on. He goes in the monkey exhibit. He starts swinging and jumping around. He's having a great time. He's like, this is easy. This is the easiest money I've ever earned. Sure enough, the kids come. They start throwing them peanuts and bananas, and they're loving it. They're thinking... This is the best monkey we've ever seen. He starts eating the peanuts and bananas and swinging around and, and all that stuff. Well, after a little while and eating about two dozen bananas and 200 peanuts, suddenly his stomach is telling him this isn't the greatest job in the world. So while he's swinging, he gets dizzy, he slips and he falls, and he lands in the lion's den right next to him. So now he's really not happy with the job that he has. The lion sees him and is coming towards him. And he's, he doesn't even care at this point. He just starts screaming, help, help, this lion's coming to eat me. Come get me help. The problem is nobody can hear him 
because the kids are screaming as loud as they can because they just think a monkey's about to get eaten by a lion. They're, they're all ecstatic about it. So he's yelling. He's like, help, help, this lion's coming to eat me. The lion's getting closer and closer. He's like, help, help, this lion's coming to eat me. The lion gets right up to him. He's frozen in fear. He's like, this is it. I'm done. You know, my life's over. The lion gets right up in his face, looks at him, and says, keep your mouth shut, or we'll both lose our jobs. <laughs> so sometimes it's best to know where you're going or what you're getting into before you, you know, get started in something. So in our journey today to find out how to live blamelessly, we look to the example of Jesus Christ. Because we went to Enoch, Scripture doesn't say much about Enoch, so we got to look somewhere else. He is the destination at the end of this journey. We start on when we get saved. When we Remember, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, two things happen. You make two decisions. You choose to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you also choose to commit your life to him. Okay, Two things happen. But before you start on any journey... It's best to know where you're going, or like the guy at the zoo, what you're getting into. That is to say, to be brave and living, you must have an honest understanding of who Jesus is. And I say this because, again, he's this example at the end of the road that we're walking on. But again, you don't have to walk this road. So before you start, shouldn't it, wouldn't it help you to know where you're going to end up or who you're going to end up like? Because you may not like it, and that's okay. I think you should. I think you would like it. But again, the choice is yours. God has given you that right. So before you get started, shouldn't you know where you go or where you're going to end up? Just like when you get in your car and you go on a trip, don't you normally look where you're going to end up before you get started? Well, it's the same thing here. <clears throat> you you want to know, you want to have an honest understanding of who Jesus is before you start on the journey of following him. I say this because knowing who he really is may determine whether you actually want to follow him or not. Now, lucky for us, we don't have to know who Jesus was because he told us. Jesus is God incarnate. He's God in human form that walked among us 2,000 years ago. Now, what does that mean for us? Patrick, why are you talking about Jesus' identity and a message about following his example? What does that have to do with anything? Well, I'm here to tell you it has everything to do with it. Now, this is called the just section of the sermon. Please listen very carefully as I'm going to say some things. And if you miss some words, you're going to think I'm saying things that are completely false. So please listen carefully. If Jesus was just a good man or just a teacher, then what he says, what he tells us, what his example shows is nothing more than good advice. It's very good advice, but it's nothing more than that. Just good advice. Good advice from someone who is just a good teacher only goes as far as that teacher is good. If the teacher is just that, a teacher and nothing more, then who they are at a base level is the same as you, a sinful, fallen, broken human being. At once, that true nature comes out, that very advice you have attached your life to starts to break down as you start to see this great teacher as nothing more than what you are. That pedestal has been broken, and they have fallen in your eyes down to the very level that you're so trying desperately to break free from. When you realize this, it becomes that much more apparent why God commanded us not to make idols of things, why we shouldn't settle for a lesser version of him when he's so readily available. I thank God that Jesus Christ wasn't just a good man or wasn't just a good teacher. No, he was God. 
And therefore, what he says isn't just good advice, it's truth. Knowing that it's truth, and more importantly, knowing the source that it came from, is the way and the truth and life, tells us, you know, it confirms for us that what he says is what we should do. How he shows us to live our lives is how we should live it. And you gain that understanding when you first have an understanding of where you're going. Now that we know where we're going, Jesus Christ, you know, you an example. Now that we have that final destination and we have an honest understanding about it, what does he show us that we can replicate? Now, this is funny because we just sang a song that kind of says something different than this, but I love you guys too much to lie to you, but I'll be the first one to tell you. Me, by myself, I don't have enough faith to believe I could part the Red Sea. I don't have enough faith to look at a mountain, tell it to move, watch it pick up its little mountain skirt and move out of the way. I just don't. I hope I do have that level of faith someday. Now, Jesus doing any of that? That's no problem at all. I believe he could do any of that. It's just when you throw me in there, that's when things change. Peter walking out in the water and then starting to sink? That's me all the way. I wouldn't even got out of the boat. I hate being in water. I hate getting wet. I find it vastly overrated. So Jesus calling me to go out and walk on it? Nope. Like I said, I hope someday I have that level of faith in myself. But just because I don't believe I can do the miraculous doesn't mean there isn't things I can't take from Jesus and his example and apply it to my life. To be brave for God in living is to be obedient to his perfect example. Remember how we discovered that Enoch must have lived what's called a blameless life and we have to replicate that? Well, we've come to terms with our example, who he really is and what that means. So now comes some of that practicality I promised. To live a blameless life we must express blameless attributes. We know where to get them. Now what are they? Well, three stand out. There's lots of them, but we're going to talk about three today. And we're going to try and replicate those in our lives when we leave here. Or try is the important word. So we're first going to go to Matthew to find out what these attributes are. We're going to go to Matthew 26. 36 through 39. Now, this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with them, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face, his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So the first attribute that we see Jesus show that we should replicate is honesty. Now recently at the men's prayer breakfast today, we talked this month, we talked about honesty a little bit and how honesty is more than just not telling a lie. How honesty needs to encompass every aspect of your life. It needs to have an impact on the actions you make and the decisions that you make as well. Being honest in all aspects of your life, especially in your prayer life, surround yourself with truth, which is to surround yourself with God's very presence, for God is a God of truth. I single out our prayer lives because look at Jesus here. The Son of God is being honest to the point of asking God if it's possible, can this be done another way? He's saying, I don't want to die. I am scared. This is Jesus saying this. He's had his whole life to prepare for this, and he's still honest enough with his very own Father to ask for another way. 
Are you dishonest in your prayer life? What are we hiding from God that we shouldn't? What are we not telling him that we should? Then once God tells Jesus it has to be so, he's honest enough with himself to accept God's will despite knowing full well what that entails. He knows what's going to happen to him. But because God says it has to be so, he does it. He's honest enough with himself to accept God's will for him despite knowing what will happen. If God spoke to us, telling us his will, would we be that honest with ourselves? Would we be willing to admit that, yes, God just spoke to me, and this is what he wants from me? Before we can be honest with others, we must be honest with God. It opens and it truly brings a level of vulnerability with him that strengthens our faith with him. Jesus was honest both with others and with God. I challenge us to do the same. It is easy. Remember, God knows all things. You can't hide anything from him. Yet we still try. I do it all the time. Try opening up to him in ways that you haven't thought of before. Because like I said, he knows it anyway. So next we go to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. This is Jesus being tempted in the desert. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So here we see our second attribute, and that's integrity. Being someone, trying to be whoever you want to be around other people is easy because normally you're trying to impress people, especially when you meet someone for the first time. You want to make a good first impression, right? But are you that same person when you're by yourself? The person you are at church, is that who you are at home around your family? Having integrity in your faith goes hand in hand with having consistency in your faith, and it expresses itself by having what's called genuine faith. Are you connecting with God? Are you living for Him when you're surrounded by non-Christians? What about when you're surrounded by Satan himself? Let's look back to Jesus in the desert, hungry, thirsty, tired, all alone, surrounded by the greatest conceivable enemy known to exist, being tempted constantly, what does he do? There's no disciples to disappoint or to look you know, smart in front of. There's no people around that he has to answer questions. It's just him and Satan. What does Jesus do? He stands firm in his faith and an acknowledgement of who he really serves. Do you do that when you're surrounded by non-Christians? Do people see that from you? When you're at work, when you're not around people you're used to being around? Do people look at you and know who you serve? Jesus shows genuine faith in God, and we need to replicate that. Being brave for God means showing people that your faith is not just a a two-day-a-week commitment. If you only give God two days a week, 
How much else are you giving your time to other things? What's going to happen in your life when you make the priority other things instead of God? Because if you're only giving them two days a week, last time I checked, there's seven days in a week. That's five days for other things. Five versus two. I don't want to get all math on you, but... When you commit, remember, when you accept Christ as your Savior, two things happen. You accept Him as your Savior, and you choose to commit your life to Him. When you commit your life to Christ, it's a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year state of existence. As long as you continue that commitment, being a Christian isn't so much a job, it's a state of being. Having integrity makes that possible, because you're not just relying on who you are when you're in this building. It's who you are all the time. It should line up with who God wants you to be, how you should be brave in your life for him around other people. It's hard. I get that. At a place where I work and many others, there's not a lot of people who love the Lord. There's not a lot of people who want to worship him and and live a way that he finds pleasing. And it's easy to to succumb to temptations from other people because, again, you just want to be liked. Everybody's like that. I'm I'm notorious for that. I just want people to like me. You don't like me, please tell me why so I can change it. Okay? It really makes me uncomfortable. It's the same for everybody else. I don't care who you are. There is a part of you that just wants to be liked by everybody. It's human nature. Well, what happens when you're faced with a temptation or an adversary who wants you to do something that you know God doesn't want you to do? What are you are you going to do? If you don't know, look to Christ. What did he do? He's got the greatest enemy ever known next to him, whispering in his ear, telling him to do all these things God doesn't want him to do. What does Christ do? That's what you should do. So finally we go to John chapter 19. The final attribute that we're going to see is wholeheartedness. This is Jesus on the cross. After this, Jesus knowing full, uh, John 19, 28-30. Sorry if you're following along. It's 28-30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So as I said, the final attribute we see for today is wholeheartedness. This attribute, more than any other, connects us more closely back to Enoch and our goal of living that blameless life. Remember that book I told you about, the Septuagint, that first translation from the Old Testament into the Greek, which everybody spoke at that time? Well, when it translates the Hebrew, depicting Enoch's relationship, the verbiage that is used, what Paul says that type of pleasing relationship is, is it's wholehearted or it's complete. It's not lacking in any facet. God does not tolerate lukewarmness. He considers it toxic to any individual, and why should he tolerate it? Look at the life of Jesus. Every opportunity to further the kingdom was taken advantage of all the way to the cross. So why should we be any less in our effort and willingness to completely devote ourselves to God? Knowing full well where his life would ultimately end up, Jesus utterly dedicated himself to what God wanted him to do and completed what he needed to complete. Jesus could have said anything he wanted to moments before his death, but he is recorded as saying, It is finished. The work the Father had sent him to do, he finished completely. And what we do in our faith can be of no less finality. Be wholehearted in your faith. Be wholehearted with your faith. And the responsibilities that you have as a Christian to your family, your church, and to God. Remember, as a Christian, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. We love telling people that, right? 
We love telling people it's more of a relationship than anything else. What that does is that puts a huge burden of self-responsibility on yourself to make sure you are accountable for the responsibilities that you have as a Christian, as a father, as a mother, as a spouse, as a disciple. Are you leading people to Jesus? Are you leading people away from him? In our mission, in our goal to live a life that's pleasing to God, to be brave for him, we must do it wholeheartedly. Everything you do must be complete from beginning to end. God doesn't settle for half an effort. He doesn't settle for 50%. He didn't send Jesus to the cross and then took him away. No, he's hung on that cross the whole time until it was done. Jesus didn't say, I'm halfway done. He said, it is finished. And we should be just like that in our lives. If we're taking his example and applying it to us, we need to be wholehearted as well. It's not easy. Again, I'm the first one to tell you, I don't always finish things that I start. My wife, if she was in here, she would tell you. But it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world. But that's the point. If it was easy, everybody would do it. We wouldn't have empty chairs in here. This place would be filled to the brim because everybody would be like, being a Christian is easy. It's not. But luckily, we have this example to look to. Jesus settled for nothing less than complete devotion to the will of the Father, and we shouldn't either. So if you guys want to come up to finish. Yeah, I think you got one more song, right? Something like that, yeah. So I'm gonna, so the worship team's coming up, and what we're going to do is we're going to, like we always do, we're going to open the altars, brand new, shiny altars, open up to people. So what we've done is we've gone through a lot of stuff, right? So let's try to corral all this, okay? We discovered that to live bravely for God in your life is to live a life that's pleasing to him, okay? Those are the same things. To live a life that is pleasing for God, you must live what's called a blameless life, okay? Now, we tried going to Enoch to look to see what he did. Scripture didn't really tell us. So we're like, well, let's go to Christ. Christ shows us that to live a life that is blamelessly, we must acquire and then express blameless attributes, okay? So what are blameless attributes? Well, there's a whole bunch of them. We could have gone through... You know, there's a, there's a whole section we could go through on biblical ethics, how to live, all that stuff. But today, I wanted to just start us somewhere, okay? Let's leave here with an actual understanding of how we can better ourselves to be more like Jesus Christ. Honesty, integrity, and wholeheartedness. So if we better express blameless attributes, we will better live a blameless life. If we better live a blameless life, we will live a life that's more pleasing to God. If we live a life that's more pleasing to God, we will live a life that's brave for him simply by the world we live in. If that makes sense to you guys. Because the world doesn't want you to live this way. The world doesn't want you to be more honest. The world doesn't want you to have more integrity. The world doesn't want you to finish things from start to end. They don't want you to do that, especially in the name of Jesus. Oh, don't dare say that. So to stand out, to, to replicate honesty, integrity, wholeheartedness, Let's remember why we look to Christ in the first place. As God incarnate, Jesus provides that perfect example to follow, and the teaching that we know is true and everlasting. I, I put the focus on Christ for this message today for a reason, because to live bravely for God in your daily life, you must acknowledge the simple fact that our strength alone is insufficient. Okay, You cannot do it by yourself. We cannot partake in this endeavor with any sort of disregard for the simple undeniable fact that without an honest understanding 
of Jesus' true identity and without obedience to his perfect example, we will not succeed. I'm not here to give you self-help advice. As I've said, I'm no better than anyone here. If you look to me to save you, I will fail and let you down. The only reason I'm even able to do this is because God gives me what is needed to do it and helps me to do it the best that I can. We can all live more bravely for God. We all can express these blameless attributes more consistently than we do now. We all can be more honest, have more integrity, and be more wholehearted in everything we do. It's not the whole picture, but for the sake of today, it's a start. So I challenge everyone here today with a simple question. Do you want to live more bravely for God? If you do, I challenge you to live a life that is considered blameless and pleasing to God. How do we do this? You fix your eyes on the person of Jesus Christ, which we're doing already, right? Man, that's convenient. I don't even have to do anything new. And we try to replicate what it means to have deeper honesty in your life, to have genuine integrity, and to commit to him wholeheartedly, and bottom line, acknowledge that you need Jesus in order to be more like Jesus. This podcast has been recorded live at Crosswalk Community Church. Services are held every Sunday at 10 a.m. at 925 South Telegraph Road in Monroe, Michigan. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Community Church Podcast.